This is episode 52 of the Landscape Photography Show, and if you've been listening to the last two episodes, you know that we've had a guest host on that was actually interviewing me with a few rules of stipulation here, and that person is Kevin Jordan. Today in the podcast, in this episode, I had the chance to flip the script on him, and I was able to grill him on landscape photography. Now, Kevin has some really interesting outlooks on photography, which is why I wanted to interview him after he interviewed me and and get his thoughts on photography as well. One of the biggest things, well, let's say two of the biggest things that I wanted to check out with Kevin was, number one, his experience on his like cross-country road trip of a lot of national parks in the United States what he learned about himself, what he learned about his photography along the way. And then I also wanted to learn some of the reasons why Kevin has decided not to seek professional landscape photography status. And I think a lot of his thoughts are going to ring true for a lot of people because a lot of people have fallen in love with the idea of doing that. But his thoughts and words share a lot about what it actually takes to do that and why it may not fit for every single person. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Kevin Jordan. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast a little bit, you know that I've talked to Kevin Jordan on the other side of the mic. He did a great job interviewing me for a couple episodes and and really diving deep into my thoughts as a photographer, because I don't always try to present those to you for the most part on the podcast. I want to highlight people who are coming on. So I asked Kevin, hey, let's do an episode right after we record that and get you on the podcast too. Because Kevin, you you and me, and just bringing you on right away, we've had countless discussions. We've done two photography trips together. Um, and we've really had creative discussions that, that like you told me before we started recording, quickly go beneath surface level conversations. Um, Jumping in, why don't you present to us how you got started in photography and, and your story of where you are right now? Yeah, man, sure thing. Um, Well, again, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. And I, I think my photography for me is sort of a, a confluence of a lot of different interests I've had over the course of my life. Um, I didn't really touch a camera much when I was younger, but you know, when I was in like middle school and high school, I would draw and sketch all the time. So I kind of had that like visual art bug to begin with. Um, and you know, drawing kind of dropped off a little bit as I got older, but I mean, in high school, I, I got a telescope. I was also really interested in astronomy in the night sky. I mean, and, and I wouldn't just kind of sit at the eyepiece and just kind of look at something and then move on quickly. I mean, I was in a pretty light polluted suburb outside of Boston. So, I mean, there was always so much you could really see in that area anyway. So as a result, I would sort of kind of sit at the eyepiece and sketch what I was seeing too. And it really gave me the appreciation for what I was looking at, um, spending 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time, kind of just observing one thing. Um, I didn't really, I mean, I was always outside when I was a kid. I mean, I played a lot of sports. I, I didn't really do much in the way of like hiking or camping or things like that. But I mean, once I got into college, I studied environmental science um, I got into rock climbing, started really going outside in nature more and hiking and things like that. And um, also learned how to write, which is a big thing too. I, I took a class freshman year that just, it was, it was no, no midterms, no finals, no tests. It was just, you had to write a paper twice a week, which mm-hmm. going into college, like I was a math and science guy, so writing was not my thing. So that sounded horrible to me. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, I looked at, I think I want to say we wrote like 25 papers throughout the course of the uh, semester. It was, it was pretty brutal, but like, I looked at the first one and I looked at the last one and it just, it it looked like someone totally different wrote them. And I also realized that I really enjoyed the process. So I, I really got into like writing and the idea of storytelling too. And then once I, once I graduated college is when I started to travel a little bit. And, you know, as I think a lot of photographers probably did, I got a camera to sort of just document that, but 
I, I sort of quickly realized that the trips that I was taking started to become more about getting photos that I liked that represented the place that I visited as opposed to experiencing it in a different way. And that, and that doesn't mean that I didn't, you know, you know, put my face away from the camera at times and enjoy the places I went in other ways, but the focus was definitely photography. And that's what I enjoyed most that, you know, I enjoyed most experiencing the places I went through the viewfinder kind of thing. Um, and so once I realized that I kind of, I, I sort of doubled down. I, I, you know, kind of upgraded my gear into something that I knew I could learn with and grow into. And it's gotten to the point now that, you know, I've been able to find this um, sort of passion that takes into like, into account the visual art, the nature aspect of things, the travel, um, the night sky and sort of the writing and storytelling. And it's, it's just been a really good fit for me. You talked just now about taking photos that, that represent a place. How, how do you go about doing that? So I think to an extent, it's pretty personal. I mean, there, I, I feel like storytelling with landscape photography isn't as easy as it might be with something that has something that's either a human element, either like something that has a person in it or something that has something man-made in it. Um, I mean, I, you can have, you know, landscape photos that have the effects of people or the absence of people and things like that. But for me personally, photography is kind of a way that I experience things. It's something that gets me outside and exploring things that I might not otherwise go do. It's something that is sort of a vehicle for me to, to observe a place. So it, it's in terms of an experience and kind of showing off a place, it, I think it's pretty personal because I mean, inevitably it's the way I'm seeing the place that I'm going. And a lot of times it goes along with the experience that I had while I was there. So, I mean, I, I would say I, for the most part, with the exception of some, some kind of pre-planned shots, try to take photos just based on what different conditions and different experiences give me. Um, and inevitably in that process, like I will sort of process a photo or do a final product that sort of reflects, you know, what I was thinking at the time, how I experienced the place I was going, whether it be a hike or a certain location and, and just kind of go from there. What about your trip? You know, the last time that we went to photograph together, uh, you were coming to great smoky mountains national park and it was the first leg of, of kind of a long photography trip for you Give us, give us the background on that trip, um, the different parks you went to. And, and I'm also interested to learn what you learned about yourself through the whole process. Yeah. So that, I mean, I saw you, so this was, this was pre pandemic. This was in spring of 2019, this trip happened. And mm -hmm. I, I have been thinking a lot about how fortunate and how lucky I am to have gone on the trip last year. Cause this trip, this year just would have been canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for whatever reason, I've always wanted to do a, a cross country road trip. I mean, I would say it's been in my mind for probably nine or 10 years. And I mean, I, I work full time outside of photography, so it's not, you know, an easy thing to fit in because we live in a very big country. And also I like to move slow and just kind of experience things and soak it in as much as possible. So I was able to set it up that I was able to go on about a five week cross country trip, um, and it was, I think I hit 13 national parks in the process and then a few other, um, you know, public land, state parks, things like that along the way. So I think the Smokies was day like three and four. Yeah. Um, the, the first like week or so was actually, <laughs> I definitely learned things about myself during that. It was pretty brutal because I went Boston to DC day one, saw some friends there. I went DC to the Smokies day two. So I think that was 17 hours of driving the first two days we shot in the Smokies for a couple days and then I went two days to the Rocky mountains, which is, um, I don't know, like just driving doesn't sound like it should be very taxing, but by the time I got to the Rockies, which was after like, I think an 11 ish hour driving day. And then like a 13 or 14 hour driving day, um, across Kansas, no less, which doesn't have a lot of variability <laughs> in what you're seeing, nor do the States on either side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, when I got to the Rockies, I was actually a little bit burnt out. And my first couple of days in the Rockies, I, I was a little bit up and down emotionally about like, you know, trying to allow myself to slow down, try to allow myself to just 
relax and not feel like I had to pack something into every second of the trip. Um, I mean, I got some photos I was really happy with in the Smokies. The first couple of days I was in the Rockies, the weather was really bad. Um, and I was a little bit up and down. I mean, it was nice to be out. It was nice to be exploring. But I mean, I remember the first full day I was in the Rockies for the most of the day, I was just in a really sour mood. And I was kind of mad at myself for that because I was on this, you know, incredible, like, you know, what will potentially be for me like a once in a lifetime trip. And, you know, I wasn't getting any crazy good photos. I wasn't, you know, even really enjoying it in that, in that moment. But it, I learned that I'm allowed to let myself slow down. And also when you're traveling for that amount of time, you know, it, it's not a four day vacation where you're just like soaking in, you know, only the good parts of life for that short amount of time. I mean, when you're traveling for, you know, a month plus, like that's just your life at that point. So you're going to have good days and bad days. You're going to have good moods and bad news, good moods and bad news. And that's going to probably affect your photography too. So, I mean, I, I hit a lot of incredible places. I mean, the, the Smokies were great. The Rockies are the Rocky mountains. You can't go wrong there. I spent a good amount of time in Utah cause I had never been there before. The goal of the trip was kind of to spend as much time out West as I could. I just wanted to maximize areas that were less accessible from Boston. Hmm. So I wanted to get outside of like a day or two's driving and really spend some time out there. So I, I really enjoy seeing landscapes that contrast to what I'm used to and what I grew up with. So, I mean, the landscapes in New England, a lot of trees, a lot of greenery, some, some smaller mountains here and there, but you know, the Rockies are that on a much bigger scale. Utah is completely different. It looks like Mars. Um, Death Valley has such incredible sort of variability for a, for a desert and mountainous location. And I saw a lot of really great things and had a lot of really great experiences, both photography and otherwise on that trip. So I'm, I'm really glad I did it. When you're in that space of kind of being down and, and the word you described was sour about, about what you were seeing and what you were going through weather-wise when you got to the Rockies, do you have mental space to forgive yourself for, for feeling that way? So I don't think I did it first in that trip. I think that was something I actually learned along the way. Um, what was actually helpful is um, I, I want to say it was Matt, Matt Payne's podcast that I was listening to and Gavin Hardcastle was the guest. Uh -huh. And I believe he described photography as like large swings between misery and euphoria. Yes. Um, and I definitely laughed when I heard that. Um, and even that day where I was in a sour mood, that day ended in me up at an overlook as all the stormy weather was clearing and getting some really, really good conditions. So like I lived those swings during that day. But I, I think I, I've definitely learned throughout that process just not to try and force things. I mean, you can get photos in bad weather, um, whether the inspiration is there. I, I think it's okay to just put the camera away too. So I have plenty of photos I'm really happy from or happy with from that trip. But at the same time too, there was plenty of days where um, I didn't have my camera out for most of the day and didn't try and force it. And I was fine with just, you know, experiencing things another way. Like I do like experiencing a place through my camera, but it's not the only way that I can or need to do it. So I think in those times where, you know, the moment didn't feel right, sometimes I would push through it uh, if I thought it was just sort of fatigue getting to me. And sometimes I'll just put the camera away and go recharge in their way. How do you fight that temptation though, of only being in a location for a short amount of time and, and, and just wanting to capture all the images possible? Because I know a lot of people, when they go to a new place or a new location, they look up different hikes to do. They look up different locations they want to photograph and it becomes this frantic experience rather than an enjoyable one. Uh, I have definitely been guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it's I think it's personality specific. I, I think if you know, for, for me for me personally, I have learned where my limits are, and I think personally it's important to have that self awareness. Um, I know that pushing myself a little bit outside my comfort zone can yield good results. I know that pushing myself too far out of my comfort zone can have detrimental effects. So I've just through trial and error figured out, you know, when there are times I'm a little bit tired or a little bit cranky, but I know after the fact, I still would have wished that I had gotten the shot. I'll go ahead and push through that. But if there are other times where I'm just done and need to recharge another way, I'll, I'll try and acknowledge that too. And I, and I really think the only way you can find that is, is through trial and error and self-awareness and just kind of trying to be honest with yourself.
How long did that take to learn? Oh God, I don't even know. Uh, I, I think it's been a, I think it's been a lifelong process to be honest. Um, I think I learned a lot about myself on that trip. Um, but these were ideas I definitely already had in my head and were ideas that I think I learned more about as I was traveling. Mm-hmm. Rank your national parks on that don't, trip. Don't make me do it. I am. <laughs> you have to. Oh God. Um, all right. First, I'm at least going to try and think about the ones that were near the top of my list. Um, Arches was incredible. Um, like I said earlier, partially, I would say from the contrast to what I'm used to, um, just the, just like even the color palette out there, like everything just works so well together and isn't what I'm used to. So that really stood out in my mind. Um, I mean, the, like the Grand Canyon is the Grand Canyon, but I, I didn't get to experience it that much. Like I, I went to the rim for the North rim for an afternoon and one night and then had to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that I would put that on the list. So I would say arches. Um, I had a really, really cool experience in Bryce Canyon. I mean, it, it's an incredible view and place to begin with, but I was there during sort of a clearing snowstorm and got some pretty mm-hmm. unique conditions. So that was, that was a memorable part too. Um, what else? God, where else did I go? There were so many parks. <laughs> um, so you liked arches and Bryce and everything else just sucked. <laughs> that's I think you paraphrase perfectly. Um, I mean, like I, I enjoyed Death Valley. I mean, that's that's a photographer's playground, just given the variety of of landscapes and how they're always changing. Um, where I had been there before, that doesn't stick out of my mind quite as much. Um, I would say Lassen Volcanic in Northern California stuck mm-hmm. out to me as well as a as a really interesting place. I had, I hadn't really known about it until I started doing research for the trip. It's I don't think it's as, you know, high on people's lists in terms of park popularity, but it has a lot to offer. Um, and I had some, some cool experiences and cool conditions there as well. So I'd say I would probably put that up on the list with, with some places in Utah as well. Why, why do you want to contrast location from your experience in the Northeast and, and around Boston specifically? I think it's just what inspires me. I, you know, there's definitely things to appreciate in landscapes that are familiar to you and you kind of call home. You can go and visit them in changing conditions, see them in new lights and, you know, go deeper than surface level stuff and notice small details and really be mindful about what you're, what you're photographing. And it's not to say you can't do that in places that contrast from what you're used to, but I think for whatever reason, those are just things that really inspire me and get me excited in a, a bigger and different way than the places around me. I mean, I, I still love going to the white mountains, in New Hampshire, um, Acadia and places along the coast, um, in new England, and even just, you know, exploring local trails, trails and things like that. But there's, for whatever reason, there's just something about places that are different than what I'm used to that just, you know, give me like a jolt of creative energy and make me want to go experience them and explore them. Well, what's it like for you being a a landscape photography enthusiast and living in a place like Boston? Because I notice on your website, you do have some photos from Boston and, and that area, but what's it like for you creatively to be within that bubble? Um, it, it, takes a little bit of effort, um, I think, to do things locally. Um, I at least have the benefit. I mean, night sky photography was one of the first things that really inspired me when I got into taking photos. It's one of the things that I knew I wanted to look into just given the astronomy interest. So I made sure I bought a camera that, you know, I could control shutter speed and things like that. So for the Boston area in particular, I mean, it's a very light polluted area. And I mean, I, I, I enjoy taking skyline photos and, and things like that. But to be able to get out to mountains or to a place that gets away from light pollution, you know, it takes at least a few hours of driving. And I'm thankful that I have, you know, things that are a couple hours away because there'd be places elsewhere on the East Coast where I wouldn't even have that benefit. But it for certain disciplines within photography, Boston can be a tough area. You know, it takes more of an effort. You can't just jump outside and take a night sky photo. You got to do a little bit of scouting and traveling and um, putting in the effort. But it's it's a city that has a lot of stuff within reach. So if you're willing to drive a few hours, 
it's a little bit of a bubble, but you can still go find, you know, plenty of, of really special views and, and special areas. And it also just allows you to kind of hone your skills in a place that may make you look a little bit harder too. I mean, if you're into urban photography, Boston has plenty of things to, to offer. If you're into more nature, there's still plenty of green space, you know, within an hour outside the city, you just got to go look and explore. Is it exhausting? Um, if, if you don't like the exploration part of it, it can be, but for me, that's part of the fun is just exploring new places. And if it presents a photo, great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever been sad about going out in nature or getting up for a sunrise or anything like that. Um, it's, it's been a little bit taxing in terms of night sky photography. Um, I definitely had a lot of really tired nights and, you know, sleeping a few hours in my car and things like that when taking shots around New England. It was nice to try and do night sky photography on the trip last year because it was the first time I've really ever been able to just, I mean, with, with a few exceptions, just roll out of a tent in an area that's already an incredibly dark sky and um, and take the shots that I wanted to. So it, that, that part is difficult in New England at times, being in such a light polluted area, but you know, otherwise I don't see it as terribly taxing. So this is typically the part of the podcast where I tell you about how you can get 33% off of all of my courses for a limited time when you use the code David33 during checkout off of my website at davidjohnstonart.com when you click on the learn tab. Yes, you can still do that, which is why I just gave you that full spiel on how to do that just now. But I also want to call your attention to something that you can get for free, and that is my new course on next level compositions. When you sign up for my email list, you get this course for free that's about seven chapters long and covers a lot of the ideas that go beyond just those entry-level composition tips and techniques that you can use in landscape photography and applies those to some more advanced tips for composition that I feel like a lot of people don't touch on that much. I spent a long time making the course and when I finally finished it, I said, you know what? You guys can just have it. So go ahead and head over to davidjohnsonart.com and click on the button right when you come on the main page for my homepage that says I want that free course. And I'll also throw in my landscape photography handbook ebook when you download that too. On your website, you write my photography is more of a creative experience than it is a documentary one. Um, can you, can you expound on that? Cause that really kind of stuck with me, but I didn't know how to dissect it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, th this can end up being a pretty deep topic cause it goes into the idea of, you know, how real is photography? How documentary is it? What is it as an art form? You know, how much Photoshop is too much and things like that. And I, you know, I, I try and be very honest about the photos that I put out there. Like if I, I don't, I think I've only probably done like a couple of composites in my, you know, whole, whole time of, of photographing things. But if I do, I'm open about it. But I also, it, it's a bit of a broad brush statement because, you know, I'll mostly take I guess you could call them snapshots of a landscape, sort of a moment in time. But at the same time too, you know, if you're doing it on your phone, your camera spits out a JPEG and is making the decisions on how to process a photo for you. If you're a photographer taking photos in RAW, you're getting a file that's meant to be processed. So you're making all those creative decisions. So it's, I think to, to most landscape photographers, that's a pretty commonplace idea at this point. But for someone who might be viewing your photos for the first time and don't really know what goes into it, that can seem as like a less of a documentary experience and more of like a creative expression, which, which I do feel like it is, but there's that gray area of, you know, you know, did you remove any like rocks or sticks from the photo or did, you know, how much did you change the lighting or, you know, what, what am I looking at? So it, it, it was a way to kind of explain to the viewer that, you know, what you're, what you're seeing is real, but it also has my experience attached to it. And that might be whether I decided to make the photo 
lighter or darker, or if you know I decided to remove something from the photo. And I I won't I've never done like a like a sky replacement or anything like that, but I definitely take into account my surroundings when I'm in the field. Um, if I'm trying to frame up a shot and there's like a branch in my way or I want a little bit different angle, but something isn't allowing me to do that, whether it be like a safety concern or just a, I don't want to trample on nature concern. I have no qualms about, you know, removing that branch or whatever later. It's, and I'll, I'll be honest about it, but that I feel like makes it to an extent, not a documentary um, type of endeavor and more of a creative one. So I think I just like to be upfront about that. So does a photo for you, let's take like a finished product photo for you to see it as, as a winner, as a keeper photo, do you think it has to move somebody in a certain way or is that more your own movement? I I think it's my own movement. I, I don't think you can really control what your audience does when they see your photo. I mean, I think, I think in any kind of like creative expression or art form, it, you kind of only get to control around 50% of it. You can create the product, but you don't really have much control about how they respond to it. So, I mean, if, if people are at all moved by any photos I take, that's fantastic. And I know I'm really humbled to hear that, but do you want to control them though? Um, I don't think so. I photography for me is, you know, first and foremost, if I don't like the shot, I'm not going to, probably put out into the world, even if I think some people might like it. I enjoy it first. Then if others do too, that's, that's great. Um, in terms of controlling it, I, I will try and put an aspect of storytelling into photography to sort of give it more context for a variety of reasons. But I mean, so I, I might frame a photo with, this is what into taking it. This is, these are the conditions. This is some information about the area. So I guess in a way that helps to frame how a viewer sees it, but not in a way that prevents them from hopefully liking it or disliking it or, or anything along those lines. Like I'm not trying to manipulate as much as just provide context and leave the rest of the opinion up to whoever's viewing it. How do you use your background? Like you talked about that creative writing class that you took. Do you use that to give more, I'm trying to think of the word to, to describe this more, visceral feelings or visualizations to your audience when you are sharing a photo? Um, Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, part of this goes into sort of how photos are shared at this point. And I mean, the majority of my stuff is going to be seen on the internet and the internet at this point is kind of designed to pull your attention in so many different directions. Um, so, I mean, a lot of our photos, when they're being viewed, you know, they might be viewed for two seconds at a time as you're kind of scrolling past on your phone. So if I could provide somebody context that might give them more of a connection to it, I, I think that's a cool idea. But I think an example of that is, um, I saw the, the 2017 solar eclipse out in Oregon and mm-hmm. the experience just entirely blew me away. And I, leading up to that, I planned out, I had a cheat sheet of myself of like, I'm going to have 90 seconds of totality. I'm going to only allow myself like 15 seconds to take photos. Um, and if I screw it up, I screw it up. I want to be able to experience it just on my own outside of a photo. And I, I tried to memorize like, okay, press this button, press this button, do all this to get exactly what I needed for the photo. And I still managed to botch it, but was lucky enough to come away with a series of exposures that I could blend into a composite. And that was one of the ones that I said that I actually have done a composite. And it was like a, it was a photo from earlier in the morning, right as the sun was rising. And I darkened it to sort of represent the lighting during totality. And I compared that to like videos I had on my phone, um, other photos I saw, some notes I took right after the experience just to try and remember as much as possible. But I mean, that was a pretty profound experience for me. Like I was, I was with my, uh, my buddy Joe out in, out in Oregon seeing it. And before the, uh, the eclipse, I was like, Hey man, if, if you look over and you see a grown man start crying, just ignore it. Okay. Cause I have no idea how I'm going to react to this. <laughs> um, and I, and I, and I didn't, but I, I mean, I was just giddy the whole time. It was, it was such a cool thing to see, but I, you know, I came away with a photo that I was really happy with that I think represented the experience that. I did not think anyone else was going to connect with, but I still wrote um, sort of a story and, and eventually a blog post to go along with it that described 
what it was like planning it, leading up to it, um, the experience itself, and then actually creating the image. And I wanted to do that just because it was such a impressive and memorable experience for me that as cool as I thought the image might look in the end, it, it didn't even come close to scratching the surface of depicting what it was like. So if I could do any kind of storytelling or creative writing to kind of help portray uh, another layer of that experience, then I was totally up for doing that because I just wanted to, with how much I enjoyed that, I wanted to share that with somebody else as much as I could. You know, that's funny that you mentioned that, Kevin, because the only other person that I've heard talk that that way about something in nature was uh, Josh Cripps when he was describing to me his experience with an eclipse and, and totality and how that moved him and, and and how he reacted to that in such a way. And he's actually, you know, talked about planning other trips to other parts of the world to seeing more of those. And is there any other thing in nature that you can think of that you've experienced that has that same level of how you put it, giddiness attached to it? <laughs> Um, I, I think that was probably top of the list, but I definitely had moments, I mean, on the trip last year that were similar to that. I mean, I was I was fortunate to find some really good lighting and weather conditions throughout that trip. I mean, I, I, I battled some weather here and there, but overall, you know, the course of five weeks, I got pretty lucky. So, I mean, that, that experience in Bryce Canyon, I mean, I, I drove up into Bryce Canyon in a, in a snowstorm. I saw from the weather forecast that things were supposed to clear later on in the day. And I was like, you know what, the idea of fresh snow and a clearing storm, I'll spend the day here and just kind of hope for the best. Um, and so I drove up into that and I mean, I, I lucked out. I, I got to the, to an overlook on the, on one of the Western parts of the Canyon. And within, I would think probably 10 minutes, the storm started breaking. And I was, I was a kid on Christmas. I just had my camera, my tripod, and I was just scanning all over the Canyon. And as the clouds started to break apart and move, you know, they kept showing different compositions and different scenes. And it, it was just such a it, giddy was probably a good word for that one, too. It was just a really like fulfilling experience where you just come away feeling excited about what you got, excited about what you saw. So I, I would say that was one of them. Um, there was definitely, I think, another moment on the trip, I would say, when I was in Lassen Volcanic, there's there's an area in that park that you climb this big cinder cone and in one direction you see the the big mountain range that's that's the namesake of the park and then on the other side you see these like sort of color multicolored volcanic dunes and those were actually the reason that i wanted to go to the park and i didn't even know if i was going to be able to access them because i was doing my trip mid-may to mid-june um with the hopes that i'd be able to hit those mountainous parks as the snow was melting and things were becoming accessible but um, the West actually got a pretty heavy winter the year before that. So there was a lot of places I was going to go that I couldn't experience, but the trail for that area opened that day, um, which was, you know, made me giddy in itself. But I, I went on that hike, got up the top of Cinder Cone and I, I had it to myself for probably a couple of hours throughout sunset. Um, and the light kept changing, you know, clouds kept building around me and a lot of really good conditions presented themselves, but that was a really memorable one too. Partly because of all of that, partially because out of nowhere, a big lightning strike happened and I just absolutely bolted. <laughs> um, so that, that, that helped to stick in my mind too. But it, overall, that was a really cool experience and probably one that definitely isn't eclipse level, but is one that sticks out in my mind too, is a really good experience that photography was able to bring me. Well, what about your experiences? I mean, compare and contrast for me. And, and I probably should have done a better job keeping up with you and, and asking some follow-up questions just because, you know, I consider you a friend in photography and we've gone to shoot a couple times of is photography for you viewed more as like a communal activity, spending time a few places with one, two, maybe three other people, or is it more of like a solitary experience for you? All right, so I have I have two things on that. First of all, you did actually check in with me when I was in Death Valley. Yeah. And I, I think I texted you and I was like, hey, man, I just got to Death Valley and the winds are like 50 miles an hour. Yeah. And you were like, oh, yeah, cool. So you're going to the dunes, right? And I was like, no, I, no, I need my camera to work for the next three weeks. I can't go to the dunes. <laughs> and, and, fit. And, and I did. 
And that was entirely because you hassled me to go do it. So mm. <laughs> those photos do exist because of you. So I appreciate that. But, um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, the second part of that question is I'm, I, I've always been a pretty balanced person in terms of like, I mean, in, in terms of a lot of things, I, tr- I try and stay pretty balanced with, you know, my interests and, and, and what I do, but I'm, I'm an introvert in some ways where I like to recharge my batteries being alone, but I also really enjoy interacting with people and, and having experiences with them that are shared. So overall, when I'm out photographing and out in nature, I do like to be alone. Sometimes I like to be with people, but away from other crowds. It's, it's more of a solitary experience for me than not, but it's something that I do appreciate sharing with people. I'm just, I actually struggled with this on the trip too, because I remember when we were in the Smokies, um, you left the day before I was going to, and I thought, all right, well, what can I see in the park today before I leave? And I went down to Cade's Cove. And when I told you I was going to go to that area, I think your response was more or less, cool, good luck, man. <laughs> um, and and I understood what you meant when I got down there because you know it, it's basically a loop road that goes around this valley flanked by these mountains. And it, it's understandable. A one-way it's popular, loop road. Right? A one-way loop road. It's absolutely beautiful. And as soon as you get to the beginning of the loop road, there's a sign that says, use turnouts when you stop on the road. 10 feet past that sign was a guy parked in the middle of the road with yeah. pullouts on either side of him. And I was like, oh, this is going to go really well. <laughs> um, so I got a little bit further down the road and, and there was a bear down in that area. And there were, you know, 10 plus cars on either side of the road, um, all trying to look and take photos of this bear. And for, I don't know if this is selfish to say, but like that kind of ruined the experience for me, mm-hmm. partially because I felt to an extent like the bear was being harassed. Um, and partially because I just enjoy those experiences in nature more, not being surrounded by people and cars. So those are things that I kind of try to balance when I was traveling last year, but it, I had moments of solidarity or, or being solitary that were nice. And I had moments that I shared with other people that were nice too. So it, it's definitely a blend of both, I think, to kind of summarize and answer your question. Does one recharge more than the other? I would, I would say the, I would say the solitary one probably recharges me more. Mm-hmm. Um, Why yeah, is that? I, I would, I, I think it's just, I think it's just personality type. I think it, it allows me to slow down. It allows me to, you know, not have the pressure of, of needing to think outside myself too much and, you know, think about the person next to me um, and, you know, what they're experiencing and if they're enjoying it and things like that. Um, not having to, you know, talk or interact, but it, for whatever reason, I, I think part of it's mindfulness, which is something I didn't really understand until a couple of years ago. Um, I've, I've always enjoyed photography and like, an hour behind a camera can feel like five minutes to me. Mm-hmm. It's just that kind of creative flow thing. And I never actually understood why that was, but I've like, I, I've dealt with anxiety a little bit the past, uh, actually probably for a while, but didn't learn the name of it and what it was up until, you know, the past five years or so. And I remember kind of learning some tools to help, um, to help work with that. And one of them that I was told was mindfulness. And I was like, Oh, okay. I've heard of that. Thought it was kind of a buzzword, like synergy or something like that. Um, and it was finally explained to me and I was like, oh, that's photography. That's, that's slowing down, um, observing what's around you, being present, seeing shapes and textures and things like that, that you might overlook if you're interacting with somebody else or just at a faster pace. And I found that that in particular is something that really helps to, to calm me and recharge me. And I can still do that when someone's around, but I can't do it to the same level as if I'm alone. So Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason that it's a, it's a much more recharging experience for me. Well, that's so funny. I think a lot of photographers don't realize that they practice mindfulness until it's described to them and and a name or a term has been put to it. Oh yeah. I had no idea, but, but as, as soon as I was told, it just clicked with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I, you talked about anxiety when I started going to counseling and, and we were discussing, you know, f- some of the first steps to, to go through how to, I don't want to say overcome it because do you ever, or do you work on it? Uh, let's say work on it. Um, she was describing to me or asking me, you know, what, what activities do you do to, to kind of calm down? And I told her about, 
you know, photography and going out in nature and, and just experiencing everything that's there. And she was like, oh, so, so you practice mindfulness. And I was like, no, I'm not into that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like in particular that, that she even pointed out to you and you're like, no, nah, that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just like, nah, dude, I don't do like crystals and stuff like that. Yeah, well, um, and I have I have friends that try and give me a hard time because they know I like astronomy. So they'll be like, "Oh, hey, so you you love astrology, right?" And they'll like introduce me to people and say I love astrology, and I was like, "No, I like the science and space and stuff. Not, <laughs> no, not that part of it." So I, I think it's easy to to hear it mentioned in in similar circles or as sort of like a you know a buzzword and not know exactly what it is. But when you hear a definition and hear about you know the benefits of it, I I, I personally saw it in a totally different light at that point, especially knowing that it was something that was already a benefit to me. Now, I feel like you've been teetering a, a little bit on this topic throughout our experiences together. And I wanted to ask you and, and kind of see where you are right now. And that is the business side of, of landscape photography, because you have a full time job. You do photography uh, on the side still. You, you sell some prints, you sell some calendars. Um, where are you right now in kind of deciding? what to do with your photography? Um, in terms of whether or not I would go full time, I decided a long time ago that I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe someday a, a situation that would present itself that would be interesting. But I mean, the way the industry is now and the way I know I like to conduct myself within photography, I, I wouldn't see it happening. Um, I, I mean, I know I talked, we talked about this earlier, but photography is a, is sort of a creative outlet and a calming influence and escape for me from regular day stressors. And I think if I were to combine that with the regular day stressors, I don't think I would enjoy it as much. I mean, I, I would certainly find other outlets to be able to, to help with those things, but it's when I thought kind of practically about it, it didn't really interest me. So I've kind of gone through that process with the different ways of the, you know, making money in the business side of photography. So I enjoy teaching and I have done some teaching. You know, I, I used to tutor in college. That's always been a thing I've enjoyed and, you know, trying to give people that kind of aha moments and, and, you know, having something click with them. That's a great feeling. And I'm always open to doing that. I've never wanted to go as far as doing workshops. Um, it, it almost seems like it's, it's a, like a hospitality industry kind of thing where you're, you are teaching people, but you're also guiding them, giving them tours, you know, setting up, you know, hotels and things like that. Um, and it, it's mostly just stuck to kind of print sales and things like that for me. You know, I've never thought about doing, you know, YouTube or, or, you know, processing videos or anything like that. So I think I've just kind of narrowed things down to the point that, you know, if I can make a little bit of side money to fund my gear insurance and fund my photography trips and donate a little money to charity from selling some prints and you know, maybe doing a little bit of a contracted shoot here or there or calendars, then that, that works for me. Well, what do people know, need to know if, if they are on the fence, what do they need to know about the enjoyment of photography versus the business side? So I think that'll be a little bit different for everyone. Um, and actually you might be able to speak better to this than I can, but I, I think you just have to be realistic about what the day to day would be if you were a landscape photographer. I mean, I think you have to understand that it's it's definitely a hustle. Um, images are probably more devalued than we would like them to be. Um, and it's going to take a certain person type of personality, I think, to stick with that. But I think with any dream job, you just got to kind of be... <laughs> I, I, I've heard it described as you have to decide what kind of crap sandwich you're willing to eat because <laughs> every, every job will have one. It just matters if you're willing to take the less than ideal things that go along with a certain profession um, and not have those cancel out the, the things you love about it. I think for me personally, the, um, the negatives that would come along with trying to do landscape full time for me would make me not want to do it. But if someone else really considers the, you know, the positive and negatives and decides, yeah, this is something I want to do. Yeah, go ahead and do it. But I think it's a sort of a being realistic and managing expectations kind of thing. What are the negatives for you? Um, I think just what I talked about earlier. I think I, I think combining 
the stressors of needing to make money off of landscape photography with something that I used to get away from certain stressors was the deal breaker for me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think what people need to need to know, and can I throw in my two cents here? Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I think you actually do a good job in your channel of sort of like managing expectations and not just showing people the, the sort of highlight reel of landscape photography. I really appreciate that you, you know, help people see sort of behind the scenes stuff too and, and, and what goes into it. So definitely have at it. Yeah. And, and I like how you said the highlight reel of, you know, you're seeing online and, and how people present themselves for the most part on social media, you are seeing that highlight reel, the, the best moments. Uh, even if it is something like an Instagram story, you're seeing the the storm clearing, you're seeing, you know, getting your camera set up in the field and uh, that, that epic light that comes in. What people don't show often is how people who don't do landscape photography full time, if they don't want to go out and shoot, they don't go out and shoot. On the flip side, if I haven't made that much money that month, like I still have to go out and shoot. I still have to know that that's my only source of income. And it's not a bad thing. I think it's more along the lines of, are you willing as a full-time photographer to go through those moments and know that it may cause some creative blocks for you and it may create a creative block that could last longer than normal because of the added pressure that comes with, like you said, doing photography full-time versus enjoyment and, and using photography to kind of combat day-to-day -day life, I guess I, sh I should say. So whether or not you want to go through those, and there are a countless number of things that you can encounter being full-time versus part-time versus side income, side hustle versus making no income at all. Um, that's, that's probably one of the biggest that I think a lot of professional photographers struggle with and don't necessarily talk about as much. There are a handful of photographers that do give you that peek behind the curtain. Um, but it is still a relatively, uh, less talked about part of full-time photography. Not only that spending a lot of time, um, away from family, uh, uh, when you are going and trying to get to these locations that are, you know, national parks, especially for us, like you and me living in, in the East, the desire is always to go out West and, and spend time out there. Yeah. And I think it brings up a good point too. Cause I mean, I, you know, I will oftentimes just kind of put my camera away for most of winter for whatever reason, that's just a time of year where I did, you know, kind of hop to a different creative outlet and just spend some time doing that or explore or learn a new thing. So if, if I'm doing photography full time, I can't do that. I have to keep shooting. I have to keep producing content and photos and things like that. So that for me is a deal breaker. If it's not for somebody else who's, you know, good at being their own boss is a good self motivator and loves this enough that that doesn't matter. Then, I mean, that's definitely something to consider too, but it just, for me personally, that's, that's not what it was. Yeah. And the same for me in summer, summer is typically the time that I don't shoot very much. Um, but I still have to go out and keep shooting. Like earlier this summer, I went out to a local spot. It was 96 degrees and the humidity was over 85%. And I still went out and spent like three to four hours outside and just had to like fight through the heat and, and get through the shoot. And the photos came out great. I was very happy with them, but the overall experience uh, was less than ideal. <laughs> Yeah. And I think a lot of the, the best landscape photos can often come from sort of the craziest conditions. And you may have to sit in those conditions for a while to get those few moments of, of great light or, or a unique moment. And, you know, to do that every month or every once in a while is I think doable for a lot of people. But if you're relying on those moments and making your living off of it, you might have a lot of, you know, sad days and downpours waiting for a rainbow to show up uh, that you may not have to sit in if you're uh, doing it part-time. And I, and I don't want to sound like, you know, my my regular day life is soul crushing or anything like that, because it's not at all. But, 
you know, I definitely use photography as a way to get those moments to break up the, you know, the usual routine and just refresh myself. Let me wrap up with this, Kevin, why using the, the income that you do get from some of your print sales, why do you donate some of that to on your website? You say the Alzheimer's association and also the Appalachian mountain club. Um, so the, the idea came up a few years ago. So I I've always kind of used my photography as a way to try and support cherries to an extent. It just, it just seemed like a, a somewhat unique skill that I had that I could leverage in that way. Um, up until a couple of years ago, it was just like donating my time to like shoot a charity run or a, a, a charity event of some sort, or like donate a print to a silent auction, that kind of thing. But I, um, a couple of years ago, and, and also too, when I was starting out of photography, I wasn't actually making any money. So there was that too. Um, but a couple of years ago, I was with my girlfriend down in, in Providence and we were walking through a store and the kind of theme of the store was all the products they sold were, um, had some kind of positive or charitable or sustainable cause attached to them. So it might've been, you know, replant a tree in an area that was deforested with every purchase, or there was jewelry that I think was designed and made by, um, victims of human trafficking and things like that. And I walked out of that store just thinking like, oh man, I wish I just want to buy everything in there and just support all that stuff. And something clicked to me where I was like, wait a minute, I can, I can do this too. Um, and it was tough to narrow down and decide which charities I wanted to try and put funds towards. Cause they're just, there's no shortage of deserving charities, but I decided to try and just narrow it down to a couple and do the ones that were most personal to me. And with, the Appalachian Mountain Club, I mean, I've just benefited from them countless times doing photography around this area. I mean, the trails they, main, they maintain, the the mountain huts they have, and things like that have just been something that's, you know, without those, there are plenty of photographs that I wouldn't have. So that kind of seemed like an obvious choice just on a surface level. But they also have a lot of programs to um, help get people outside and, and kind of promote the benefits of that. So that whole idea was kind of important to me. Um, and the Alzheimer's side of it was just something that's affected my family personally. Uh, my grandfather was really important to me growing up and he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was, I believe in middle school. And so to kind of watch him fade away from that has had a really lasting effect on me. So if I'm going to choose a, uh, a charity that I can support, that's definitely going to be on the list. Well, he's Kevin Jordan. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts on photography and what makes you tick also as a person. Hey, thanks, man. I really appreciate it.